Welcome back to Delta Flyer. I'm Thad Haight. And I'm Stuart Hollis. And this week, we're going to talk about Season 2, Episode 23, The Thaw. On the first viewing, I wasn't crazy about this episode. I warmed to it slightly on the second viewing. Mm. I was going to say there won't be any thawing for me anytime soon because it's really cold. It has also gotten cold down here as well. Like, you know, by Georgia standards. Sure. So this originally aired on the 29th of April in 1996 and was written by... Uh, the story was by Richard Gatiss, and this is his only writing credit of any kind. The teleplay was by Joe Minoski, who is a well-known name in the Star Trek writing sphere. Uh, he wrote 16 TNG episodes, including Darmok. He wrote four DS9 episodes... This is one of 36 Voyager episodes. Uh, he did write Cathexis in season one. And I think this is the first time we've come across one of these. He has also written a Discovery episode, the episode Lethe from season one. Yeah, nice. It was directed by Marvin Rush, who directed one TNG, two Voyager, and two Enterprise episodes, as well as serving for director for of photography for many TNG, DS9, Voyager, and Enterprise episodes. Dang. And no, I don't know what the director of photography does and how they are different from directing. I mean, I barely understand fully what a director does versus a producer versus an executive producer versus anyone else on the set. Like, the only person I really have a handle on what they do on set is an actor and, like, the costume designer. The director is, like, in charge of, like, everything involving the actual filming of the episode as far as i'm as far as i know yeah and then i guess like their second in command of the cameras is the director of photography i guess i guess yeah i'm not sure like i like it best when the names are self-explanatory like actors act mm. costume designers design costumes writers write grips hold on to things but what do best boys do they go to heaven <laughs> I guess. And do gaffers gaff? Yes. Okay. So our synopsis from TV Guide. Unable to revive humanoids in a computer-generated hibernation, Kim and Torres enter their dream state, but someone is already there. A malevolent clown. Memory Alpha says, The crew attempts to rescue three aliens in stasis from a bizarre computer program that is based on fear. I like that synopsis better. I do too. It doesn't have, like, weird dangles... That make it seem like they're that in a computer generated hibernation. It's like, but it's not. The hibernation is real. The hibernation is not computer generated. Yeah, yeah. I think memory or TV guides is needlessly wordy. So, what's your high concept for this episode, Thad? Uh, hibernation gone wrong. Yeah, the uh, the clown is the Kai concept. Uh, the the being created of people's fear that holds them hostage. Yeah. yeah. People are trapped in a simulation where fear has come to life. Yes, exactly. As played by Michael McKean. Yes, and played very well by Michael McKean. Yes, and also the, like, the weird, creepy mask guy. Mm-hmm. I forgot to write down the act- actor's name. Uh, but he also played, like, the tall alien in the first Men in Black movie. Huh. Okay. Yeah. And in, like, tons and tons of other things. He's, uh... He's sort of like, um... Doug Jones. Mmm. He's been in tons of things, but you usually don't actually see his face. 
Yes. There's another there's another great one who I also don't know his name, but I, I should really learn it. Um, he has this, like, super pronounced, like, jaw and cheekbone going on that just put a little bit of makeup on him, and he's just, like, any alien race you want. He was in an episode of NCIS as just, like, a, I don't know, like, a Navy chief or something, and it's, like, it's weird not seeing you with, like, prostheses uh, all over your face to make <laughs> you look like a crazy alien. Because you still sort of look like a crazy alien. <laughs> <laughs> so, Doug Jones, before he... I, I was aware of Doug Jones, because he's been in so many things. Uh, but before he was cast on Discovery, and I, you know, saw all the pictures of the Discovery cast does this, the Discovery cast does that, I could not have picked Doug Jones out of a lineup. Well, out of a lineup of tall, skinny people. Uh, I could have... Because he was in this terrible, terrible movie called Legion, which had Kevin Duran and Paul Bettany, mm-hmm. and I don't know other people. Uh, for some reason, I want to say that Sam Neill was in it, but I'm probably wrong. Sam Neill has been in a lot of terrible movies, so that makes sense, uh, right? So that yeah, so that's why I'm probably thinking it. Yeah, it it takes place at a diner at the end of the world, and God has sent all his angels to kill a baby because the baby is bad for god in some way and paul Batani plays uh like a like a fallen angel who's there to save the baby this sounds vaguely familiar but i don't think i've seen it anyway doug jones plays an ice cream truck guy and he actually has no face makeup on it'd be funnier if he was an ice cream truck guy with face makeup or very like very limited face makeup certainly <laughs> I, I mean like everyone in a movie is wearing face makeup on some level sure yes but like his thing in this case is that he hyper articulates his body and like his limbs grow and he like crawls on all fours like backwards and breaks himself in half and does other like crazy things but you have like a clear shot of his face so that's how i could pick him out of a lineup ah uh-huh. Fair enough. And that's probably more than anyone has spoken about Legion since it came out. (laughs) So, for those who may not know who Michael McKean is, he's probably best known for Spinal Tap. I mean, in my heart, he's best known for Short Circuit 2. No one is best known for Short Circuit 2. Number 5 is alive, Thad. Yes, number 5 is alive. But... Number five was also alive in Short Circuit. Yes, with Steve Gutenberg. Yes. Who decided to go make Police Academy 23 or something instead of being in Short Circuit 2. Although, actually, now that I think about it, today's audiences probably know him better uh, from Better Call Saul. Oh, he's in that? Yeah, he's um, he plays Chuck, Saul's friend? Uncle? He's like in a mentory kind of role for... Ch- I, I've seen a couple episodes of Better Call Saul. I don't know if they're family or if they're just... Maybe they're brothers? I don't know. But someone's going to write in and tell me how wrong I am about this. Uh, <laughs> but anyway, yes. He's in Better Call Saul. And he's also in this episode, which opens with Harry playing his clarinet, much to Tom Paris's dismay. Why is Tom Paris even there Like while Harry is practicing? It's also much to Ensign Baytart's dismay. So we do get a Baytart call out. Interestingly, this scene was originally shot for Death Wish, but they ended up not using it, so they recycled it for this episode. Eh, fair enough. I mean, this scene could be in any episode, really. So my only question on this is, mm-hmm. uh, Paris suggests, well, you could put Ensign Baytard on Night Shift. Well, actually, Paris, wouldn't that be your job as head of 
home. Uh, but secondly, Paris, um, shouldn't Beethart already be on night shift if you're the day shift helmsman? Well, they probably have three shifts. Ooh, that's a good point. So they're on, they're probably on second shift right now, which means Beethart actually is probably trying to finish up his sleep. Ah, good point. So they're in Harry's room debating on how best to remove Baytart from the equation since they can't remove Harry from the equation because all they could think of was Cargo Bay, <laughs> which has poor acoustics. Plus, uh, Baxter's working out there, so. Well, yeah. What about the Airponics Bay? Yeah, the plants would absorb. I have to imagine that most places on the ship that isn't someone's quarters probably have poor acoustics. There's a lot of metal bulkheads. Yeah, couldn't there be, like, empty quarters somewhere? Shouldn't there be, like, the room for music music practicing? They've lost some crew members. Yes, there should be empty quarters that they've converted into, you know, the choir room or whatever. Yeah, how about uh, Ensign Bennett's quarters? Mm, yeah. Or, uh, or Jonas's quarters. How about Harry Kim put, like, cushions along the walls or something? I mean, I, I just feel like they haven't... Harry Kim has not spent enough time trying to solve this problem. Also, it's interesting that Harry has his own quarters. On TNG, it's established that Ensigns don't get their own quarters. They share. Well, he's a member of the bridge crew, so he's special. I guess. He's a senior officer. But he's not! But he's, but when Chakotay called for all senior officers, out Harry went with Tom Paris, which leads us to Chakotay calls for all senior officers, and off to the bridge they go. Yeah, and we've we've talked about this before, but is everyone else in operations, like, a non-com or a crewman? I mean, how does this work? I don't know. It's a mystery. I also, I also am puzzled over when Paris says that it was built for combat performance. Yeah, that was the first we'd heard of that. Yeah, that's was odd to me. Anyway, they get called to the bridge. Yes. Because we're approaching a planet that appears to be mostly dead. It's getting better. Yeah, it's true. So it's it's a whole planet that was once a big bustling trading locale, according to Neelix. About 19 years ago. Yes, when, according to Harry Kim, the solar flare cooked the planet a little bit singed it anyway but there were only four hundred thousand people on the planet well based on what based on the language that the survivors you are uh, specifically that the we hear in the recorded message it sounds as though this was like an outpost this was not a planet where anyone that was any species native home oh no right no i i did jot that down it is yeah it was it was just a settlement so that does that does make more sense. Like, it is a little weird. I don't know. It, it feels a little weird that they somehow had enough time to have all these hibernation pods ready, but they didn't have enough time to just, like, pack themselves back into ships and leave the well, planet. Well, from what they were saying, any ships that tried to leave would have been destroyed. But they had time to prepare the hibernation pods. Maybe they already had the hibernation pods. Maybe one of them was a prepper. <sighs> How can they detect dead people? dead things i was thinking those sensors are really good like they're super duper good so long as you actually calibrate them to the correct surface depth <laughs> yes it's like well i'm not seeing anything on the surface wait let me actually start like detecting under the surface 
and then like once he narrows in on that, then it's like, well, now everything's completely normal again, and I can detect there's skeletons in two of the pods. And I can detect that the pods are working exactly the way they're supposed to, somehow. Yeah, but we still don't have an answer as to what happened to the other 399,995 people on the planet. They didn't have pods. So what, five people went into pods? Yep. That's dumb. I want more exposition on this. All right. There might be a novel. I don't know. I'm sure there is. So they decide that they are going to beam this group of pods that have three living life signs and two skeletons up to what I presume is Cargo Bay 2. It was Cargo Bay 1, actually. Oh, you're right. It was. They actually they actually called it out. And when it gets up there, I'm just looking at this. It's just it's such an inefficient design to hold five pods. Yes. Just like why not have them all like why not have them like stand straight up you could you could have fit like two pod sets in this like in the same footprint mm. stack them i don't care i can't remember in the starkid sg1 episode that they totally ripped this idea from uh or no that that totally ripped this idea gamekeeper yes because it came later uh were they vertical they were more vertical they were still you like lean back into the chair bed couch thing mm. in in gamekeeper but whereas these are almost like a 45 degree angle those in gamekeeper would probably be like a 60 degree angle yeah okay so it's just sort of like like you're standing up and you sort of like lean back a little bit yeah this is also the more the more like dramatic you know gritty version of gamekeeper yes although i again you should i guess we could really say gamekeeper is the more lighthearted version of this because it came out two years later yeah, but in that case, it wasn't it wasn't the computer gone amok, right? But there's still there's still some definite similarities. Yeah, sure. Uh, it's not like there are two episodes. There are we'll come to an episode in season six that is mu- very similar to a Stargate SG one episode that is much more similar than this one. That also that that one apparently was completely unrelated. They were both developed completely unknown to each other but this one i mean this is like you saying that the new adventures of johnny quest ripped off of this episode because they both involve going into like a virtual reality oh man i remember the new adventures of johnny quest yeah where like the big bad whose name escapes me and i'm also confused to why there was even a big bad in johnny quest anyway <laughs> was imprisoned inside the vr world but they always went into the vr world and he could still like do things there I always thought it was weird that there's a there's a guy named Race on Johnny Quest. Race Bannon, yeah. And there was a episode of Harvey Birdman where he needed where he was uh, suing to be able to marry Doctor Quest. <laughs> That's amazing. Which, like, now that I, now like that seems like why would you have to sue for that? But back then, <laughs> sure, yeah. So Harry, so Harry and Janeway and Kess yes. are looking over the incredibly inefficient hibernation two pod arrangement set up mm-hmm. and harry just starts pushing buttons how does he know what the buttons do they're not labeled they're even worse than like they're even worse than starfleet buttons because starfleet buttons at least have little labels on them the little labels on the starfleet buttons are completely useless though if you've ever actually seen what they are it doesn't matter i can see that there are labels whereas these buttons have no labels at all and the screen just like it's like constantly moving as if it isn't reacting to the buttons at all because of course it isn't because production mm-hmm. but yeah yes i mean it's not nearly as bad as when 
someone in a movie like, goes to answer their phone and the screen stays lit. Yes. Once they hold it up to their ear. Yeah, that happens all the time, and it bugs me every time. This is like the 90s version of that. <laughs> yes, okay. Yeah, so Harry comes pressing all the buttons, and Kess is doing her scans, and you know, they, they're like super confused as to what's going on, so we go back to the briefing room, where Harry Kim is just like super jazzed about the mystery of it all. And uh, we finally decide that there's nothing else we can do uh, other, because these people should have been able to come out a long time ago. We're going to have to send some people in and find out what happened. Yeah, that is their best option? Apparently, yes. They even say that's the best option. Why not hijack the computer and download their brains? Well, because the computer can't hold a brain. It'll degrade. Ugh. They don't need it for long, just long enough to create a hologram and be like, yo, dog, why are you still stuck in there? <laughs> or why not do the thing where they send the doctor in like they did later? Well, that's because they didn't fully understand what was happening. Like, the doctor was there because it's like, well, we need someone who is not going to be trapped by fear. Yeah. I was wondering why they didn't, see tu- why they didn't send Tuvok in. Since in the very last episode, Tuvok gave us an excellent explanation as to why Vulcans deal with fear differently. I don't know if it would work, because Vulcans do still have fear, they just suppress it. Yeah, and I suppose that he did get taken down awfully easily in, um, oh, shoot. What was the episode where Ember starts starts getting visions? Persistence of vision. So, yeah, so they decide we need to put actual people into the actual pods to go into the, the dreamscape. And I really hope that there were, like, robots or something down on the planet that would seal the people up in the pods and then push the buttons to activate them. Yeah, apparently. Because that seemed like a really involved, unautomated process. And why weren't the robots still there? Well, because the robots are on the planet. We're on the ship right now. They just beamed up the pods. Oh, they didn't beam up the robots. Okay. Why would, like, no, like, why would they, like, I mean, that's all just, like, I mean, that's just all disconnected machines Mm -hmm. as far as the sensors are concerned. Mm Mm-hmm. Like, well, we, we clearly have a self-contained computer and life support unit with five stupidly slanted pods. So let's just beam up the self-contained unit. The robots aren't necessarily part of that. It could be like a on a gurney so they can travel from one pod stack to the next, assuming there are other pod stacks. Yeah, okay. That makes sense. Maybe there were other pod stacks, but their clowns already killed the people. Well, then why didn't Harry detect all those dead bodies? Well, because if those dead bodies weren't near the live bodies, it was the live bodies that drew his sensors in the first place. Yeah, fair enough. Okay. So, into the dreamscape they go. It's a rather small set, really. It is a pretty small set, garishly colored, with clowns. Yeah, lots of clowns. So many clowns. Kind of looks like a TOS set, or honestly, an early Stargate SG-1 set. It also made me think of uh, Wizard of Oz. Yes, that too, especially because there's even little people, or at least one little person. And there's a yellow swirl on the ground, as if, uh, as if the start of the yellow brick road. Yeah, you have to follow that, you know. Yes. So they, they start asking people, uh, if they're saying that they're looking for friends, and mm-hmm. the clown says, well, we're all friends here. When you say the clown. Okay, James McKean's clown. Michael McKean. Michael McKean's clown. I don't know why I said James. You could call him Fear. Ah, yes. Fear says we're all friends here. We don't know he's Fear yet, but he says that. Yes. I mean, it, even from the beginning, it's obvious because he's the one that's like actually wearing makeup instead of a mask. 
Well, he also was holding up a mask at the very beginning. But oh, yeah, okay. And then Harry has a conversation with a little person who gets very annoyed when he says they're from another town because there are no other towns. There's only Clown Town. Man, I would probably have died a long time ago to get out of Clown Town too. Uh, yeah. I mean, I'm surprised that Harry and Polana are not just like already. I mean, I, I guess they're both like, well. Whew. Thank God we're only going to be here for three more minutes. Like, when they get dragged into, like, the, the weird clown dance party, Harry is smiling at first, until they see the guillotine. Harry is a weird person. <laughs> this is true. And are we supposed to, like, recognize the executioner? Because the camera kind of plays on his face. A little bit, yeah. And I don't know what the deal with that is. Also, why do they keep a log inside it? Just for demonstration purposes. <laughs> I guess. So, after the whole guillotine episode, uh, Harry Kim says, Ah, I get it. You're some kind of virus. A virus, a virus. He thinks we are a virus. Yes. So that is a first, our first of two some kind ofs. Yes. And then, Harry's a little slow on the uptake, uh, because, like, after he mentions multiple things about both Harry and, uh, and Bolana, then, like, a little bit later, Harry's like, It's almost as though he can read our minds. No, you think? Yeah, he's just so caught up in like the new experience and being jazzed about the mystery that I don't think he's like fully wrapped his head around. If the people are still trapped in here, there has to be a good reason why. Yeah. And this is why he's still an ensign. <laughs> yes. But, you know, the escape hatch appears. Yes. And, oh, yes. So we should mention that the, we did find the three people. And they mentioned that, yes, the the clown will not let them leave. Yes, and they also point out that when these newcomers are clearly aliens, which means they must have come here on a ship, which means they must have shipmates, which means that bad things will almost certainly happen, such as the pods being destroyed, if we don't figure this out. Like, you can't just go and kill these new people. And it makes sense. You know, good thinking on their part. And then the escape hatch appears. Yes, and it also has a whole bunch of unlabeled buttons. Yeah, it's terrible. Just terrible. Fear freaks out, and he's threatening to kill more of them. We cut to outside the pods, where Janeway's like, I don't understand. There's the escape hatch. It triggered on time. Why aren't they pressing any buttons? This is weird. Then we find out that it was terminated from inside the pods. Dun, dun, dun. Yes. So I guess they basically just assumed... It, it seems strange to me that they are that they are so confused that our crew didn't leave when clearly the people inside weren't able to leave for some reason. Yes, they really. I feel like they should have spent more time on safety protocols leading up to this to figure out how can we get someone into this without fully dunking them into the system. Mm -hmm. Since we know that simply pulling the plug is going to cause brain damage, because the doctor cautioned us against this. The doc is right, as Harry Kim says. That's mm -hmm. another reason why he's still an ensign. Failure to show respect to the chief medical officer. Anyway. Well, Paris doesn't either, but, you know, he's Paris. That's Paris. Paris is going to be demoted and repromoted 18 times over the round of the, <laughs> round of the show. I think only once, but yes. Doesn't matter. A thousand times. As many times as there are shuttles in the shuttle bay. Well, other than the invis the you know unmentioned demotion where he's a full lieutenant at the beginning and is now a uh, junior grade lieutenant for some reason. Yeah. Anyway, they can't just pull the plug. It'll cause brain damage. The people inside have, like, 
have had this escape hatch available to them. They have not taken it. Why not? Mm. Clearly there's something wrong inside the simulation. Let's not just send our people in? Like, completely unprotected? Yeah, but they did, so. (sighs) Anyway, so. They also did notice that their body temperatures were rising and they were showing abnormal stress. Yes, their norepinephrine productions are off the charts. Mm. Uh, Meanwhile, inside the simulation, Harry Kim convinces Fear that if he doesn't want everything to get shut down, he needs to let a hostage go. So they can actually explain what's happening. And he manages to... Yeah, Fear finally agrees with him that, okay, I guess we'll do that. Like, Fear doesn't believe him at first because he's like, well, she... You know, because he's talking about how the captain wouldn't just kill the hostages. She'd never kill you, would she, Harry? Not her beloved Harry. Well, he's not the real Harry, so... Right, no, yeah, no. He's not her Harry, beloved or otherwise. And <laughs> yeah. not this Harry and the original Harry have both died before. That's also true. This is nothing new to Harry, Kim. Uh, I don't know why he gets so freaked out later. He'd just be like, I've died before, this is fine. Yeah, actually, that's how the episode should have ended. January pulls the plug, they revive Harry the end. Right? So, Bellana comes out and tells them what's going on. Janeway sort of, like, philosophizes. That's not a real word. It's close to a real word. It is. She talks words for a minute there, just sort of, like, working through her thoughts about... How do we deal with the manifestation of fear? And she hits upon the bright idea that clearly we need to send someone in with, like, safety protocols. Such as the doctor. So then the doctor comes out, comes in, to negotiate. Oh, first we have the scene with old Harry and baby Harry and... And then uh, hospital bed Harry. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, the, the fear starts trying to figure out where Harry Kim's fears lie. It's like, well, you you know, you're super afraid of growing old, aren't you? No, no, wait, you're super like you what you fear the most is everyone babying you on the ship because you're going to be an instant forever. No, 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 I know what it is. I know what it is. That's like when you were a kid, you were on a mission to like a plague planet or something. What? Yeah, that was weird. Yeah, he was like what was it? He was like 7 or 8 and his parents a took a humanitarian over. mission. A radiation disaster. Yeah, I, I know, but Plague Planet sounds cooler. Yes. And he, like, wanders through the hospital, and they're, like... And they're operating on children with scalpels that are... Children that are awake? What is... Is this the 24th century or not? What is this, the Dark Ages? Exactly. What? Goodness There's sake. a whole lot of what in that. But really, that was just there so that the doctor could come in and show him how to hold a scalpel. Right, which he then promptly throws away, a la Luke with the lightsaber. Mm. That's another thing that stole something from this episode. I don't... <laughs> Probably not. <laughs> I'm just saying, I think the gamekeeper was at least slightly inspired by this. Yeah, maybe. Anyway, I did like the one doctor's line, which is, I have a very trustworthy face. Yeah. Although I think it would have been slightly better to be like, I've, I've been programmed to have a very trustworthy face. That would have been better. They're they're pitching the idea of we we can use a, a fake brain, a simulated brain, to, you know, let the hostages go, we'll bring in a fake brain, and then you can you can play with the fake brain. And he's not going for that. No, nah, Fear's having none of this. He's like, well, Harry, do you think you can work? And Harry's like, I don't know, maybe. He's like, ah, shut up. Who asked you, Harry? Other 
guy whose name I've forgotten, like the main guy. Yeah, I starts with a V, I think. I think you're right. Uh, you know, hey, uh, V guy, you know, is this thing going to work? And he's like, well, I mean, maybe if they do a thing with the stuff in the optronic pathway, he's like, ah, you're lying and you're wrong. Get out of here. Viorsa. Thank you. And yes, uh, he knows that Viorsa is lying. Uh, but at least at this time, he assumes Viorsa is only lying so that he will think that they can do the simulated brain thing. Right. He does not realize that Viorsa has left them a clue. Which is because I feel like, okay, maybe he was distracted at this scene, but like we clearly see Viorsa sitting there contemplating later. And it's like, if he has access to Viorsa's brain, he should have already been like aware of this whole thing. Maybe he's concentrating really hard on not. Yeah, that works. Yeah. Because you can totally do that to yourself. You can totally concentrate on not thinking about something and not think about it. Obviously. Well, no, he's, like, concentrating on, like, literally anything else. He's thinking, like, really hard about baseball or something. Maybe. Or he's thinking really hard about being sad, and that's why the, that's why the, that's why fear then gets sad. Mm, he was sad. But, yeah, so we, we cut to outside the pods. Yes. Where the doctor is walking Janeway, Chakotay, and Balana through what happened inside, and the you know, fears demands. And Bellana immediately picks up that the optronic pathways wouldn't work for that at all. No, no, no. And then, and then she's, and they're like, well, what do you use them for? We'll use them for this, this, and this. Aha. We can use them to disable the environment. Okay. So then they go to try to do that, but they send in the doctor to distract fear. Yes. And I have an issue here. Bring it. I have an issue here as well. Let's see if they match up. They have to disable the optronic pathways one at a time. Yes. Why? Reasons. Because she's taking a thing and holding it over each optronic pathway until it turns off. Yes. Why not replicate a custom thing that could do that over all of them at once? Why not, if you can't do that, have one in each hand and have another person also have one in each hand? Yes! Like... Any more than one more person, it would get way too crowded, but you could easily get another person in there. With two more hands. Correct. But even so, you could still just replicate a custom thing with, however, with, what was it, 40? About 40. Yeah. With 40 little tips and just hold it over until they all turn off at once. Yeah. And I, so yeah, so she's disabling the optronic pathways inside the doctor is negotiating with fear. While things start disappearing. Yes. Uh, creepy mask guy is like, "Hey, what's happening?" And then he, and then he disappears, and that you know, fear catches on at that point. And then at that point, nothing else disappears, even though more and more, even though like another like ten pathways get removed. Yeah, why didn't Belana keep going? She did keep going at that point, but like, like all the way to the end. Like, like, what caused her to slow down? Like, why did stuff stop disappearing? See, that's the thing. She didn't slow down. Based on the num- the numbers she kept calling out, she was still doing it. But things stopped disappearing inside, and that doesn't make sense either. I mean, is it possible that Fear was able to somehow, like, put a lock? Well, because if you shut down the pathway... This is very confusing. I yeah. Like all. No, I, it was just a... It was a it was honestly, it was a production mistake. They should have had things continue to dis- to disappear, and like a couple of things do because they're dragging uh, Viorsa to the guillotine, and someone like throws the doctor away, and he tries to get back in, back in there to pull Viorsa away, and someone is stopping him, and then that someone disappears. So 
like the occasional thing still does, but not at the rate that it was in the beginning. Right, and that that's that's my point. Like, yeah, like at a certain point, the executioner or the guillotine or like half the crowd should have been gone. Exactly, or the clown himself. Well, I feel like no, because he's like built deep into the computer, whereas right now she's just like deleting the environment. So okay. I think that if she disabled all of them, it still ultimately would have been just fear and the people in like an infinitely black room or something. Mm, possibly. But at that point, he would have no real way, like, outside of just... Strangling them? Yeah, strangling them, or singing terrible songs off-key for eternity as a way to torture them. That's possible. Yeah, like, if you or I were the fear clown. (laughs) That's, like, all that we would be able to do. Yes. It's just, like, talk at them for eternity or sing off-key. I would, you know, start giving a treatise on rank pips. (sighs) I wouldn't last five minutes. <laughs> so, Fear fights back. He kills Viorsa. He's about to kill another one. Janeway tells Blana to turn them all back on. They've lost. Yes. And, yeah. They, they, oh, at some point, Fear manages to make a force field appear that Blana has to get past. But she gets past it really, really quickly, so why was that even there? And how did he do that? He has not That's shown at any other point that he has any control over the, like, outside. Because otherwise he could have communicated through the external display. Yeah, exactly. Like, I am fear. I'm holding these people hostage. Bring me cake and pie. <laughs> right. But, anyway. So then, we have some more fearness. And, well, we also have a lot more of Janeway figuring out what makes fear tick. Yes. And apparently she doesn't like roller coasters. I don't like roller coasters either, so I'm with her. Yeah, because she's talking about, you know, like, why do people, you know, why there are adrenaline junk- junkies, and why do people go into the hollow, uh, the hollow suites without the safeties on, and why do people still, even today, allow their children to go on roller coasters? It's like... Okay, yeah, that part, it almost sounds like, yeah, roller coasters, like, kill people or something. I feel like in the 24th century, they should have really safe roller coasters. We have reasonably safe roller coasters in the 21st century, so yeah. Yeah. So, Janeway has a plan. Yes. We don't know her plan yet, but she definitely has one. So the doctor goes back in to negotiate again. And here is actually, like, an excellent piece of editing. Yes. It is. Did you also start your stopwatch? No, I didn't. So when he first says the sentence, in one minute, the captain will... Was it exactly one minute? Because it seemed, like, very close to that. That's why I... But no, I didn't. It, it was very close to it. It was, however, because he then says, like, 52 seconds or something. That was correct. That eight seconds had elapsed from when he started the sentence. Nice. And then, it, and then when he's, like, you know, you have 43 seconds, that was also correct. The next couple call-outs were off by a couple of seconds, so it wasn't completely perfect. But it was a good job. Nice. Yeah. So, yeah. So, the ultimatum is that all the hostages have to go, and in return... He gets one hostage, Janeway herself. And he's down with that, because he's heard so much about the wonderful Captain Janeway. Well, he's brain-scanned so much about the wonderful Captain Janeway. Yeah, and obviously, Harry's brain, he worships Captain Janeway, so... Yes. Janeway gets thingies connected to her head, she climbs into the pod. Yep. And when Janeway appears, all of the other characters disappear? Well, I think that since he like knows that she's coming because like leading up to that he's you know he like has them all running around cleaning and scurrying and whatnot so i think this is like him 
intentionally making everything else disappear so he has a more one-on-one. Hmm. Okay. That makes more that makes sense cuz I was confused by that. I was confused on the first watching and the second watching especially in light of the cleaning up and everything. That that's how, that's my read on the scene. That makes sense. Yeah. So J- Janeway shows up and it's like, "Oh wow, you actually you actually came in here." He's like, "Well, I've learned to trust fear." <laughs> So Janeway talks about things about fear and why fear isn't terrible, but there are there are times when fear is very good, and Starfleet captains know how to deal with fear. Meanwhile, during this, the other hostages have left. Yes. And they're waking up on the outside. And this is when Janeway reveals that she's not really there. No. She's connected, but not in stasis. You know, that thing that we were talking about yeah. like 20-something minutes ago that would have been a bright idea from the get-go for Harry and Bellana? But anyway, so now the world is ending. Fear, Fear is, is afraid. afraid. Janeway she knows. knows. And then it ends with drat, which is perfect. It would have been over the top without the drat. I didn't like the drat. Interesting. <laughs> I think largely because I am 99% sure that was the only time he had said drat in the whole episode. Ah, uh, so you felt it was out of character? Not necessarily out of character, but if it had been a more, like, a thing that he at least said, like, a couple of other times, mm. especially with, like, a, like, over-exaggerated, like, snapping of the fingers and, like, a foot stamp or something, think of the scene going this way. When Harry is saying, this is why you need to let go of a hostage that can state your demands, fear then saying... So I don't get to kill any of you? Drat. Okay, yeah. And if you had like one other instance of that, perhaps. Uh, and then with him saying drat, but like completely somber and with no snap or anything like that, that would have made it play a lot better for me. But otherwise, no, it was not out of character, but... All right, yeah, no, I, I can see where you're going with that. I I still really liked it, though. I do agree that it would be way over the top without the drat. Okay. <laughs> At least we're slightly on the same page. I completely agree with that. I st- and I don't know what word would have been better than drat, but I feel like there could have been set up for be- like earlier in the episode to make drat be a better payoff. I can see that. I don't know that it was necessarily required that we had heard it before, but I can see how that might made it may have made it better. So you was confusing to me about this episode. What's that? It has a higher rating on IMDb than Innocence. I liked it more than Innocence. Uh, again, we disagree. <laughs> Yeah, see, sometimes it's not always great when, like, two things come together. Yes, sometimes it is not great when two things come together. And next week, we'll be talking about Tuvix. Thanks for listening this week. If you enjoyed this, you should also check out our other podcast, Stargate Weekly. You can find and review both on your podcast player of choice. And you can also reach us at our email address, deltaflyerpod at gmail.com. I'm at Gamicus. I'm at Tyrannicus. And you can follow the show on Twitter at Delta Flyer Pod. And that's our show. Yep. <laughs> <laughs>